Hello, and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast where we always watch a lighthearted romantic comedy featuring a love <laughs> triangle and tell you why the ha. person who picked a love ha. interest chose poorly. <laughs> I am Jennifer. I am Samantha. And I am the unicorn figurine that was used to stab Barb, aka Sadie. And we're here with a very special holiday episode. And when you find out what movie we're doing, Sadie's unicorn figurine comparison will make more sense, hopefully. And if it doesn't, then you can go watch this movie, the title of which I will say at some point. I'm sure. They've read the title of the episode. They know what we're on about. I always forget that. I always forget. <laughs> I always forget that too. <laughs> I never forget. I mean, there's a chance someone is out there just listening to episodes in order. They've put their AirPods in, they're vacuuming in the other room, and things are just playing and happening. You know, there's a world in which this would Maybe be a surprise. They're a chaotic person who just likes to listen to podcast episodes on shuffle. Yeah. Maybe they set their the language of their podcast app to one that they don't speak purely so that they can have the joy <laughs> of surprise to find out that we are talking about the movie Black Christmas today, a 1974 Canadian slasher film. And my suggestion, whenever anyone wants to talk about non-traditional Christmas movies, no thank you, die hard, let's watch Black Christmas instead. And I've been tasked with brief saying what goes down in Black Christmas. It's a fairly simple plot, but it was revolutionary for the time. This was kind of one of the earliest slasher movies. So if you've seen a Halloween or a Friday the 13th, you can kind of trace it back to Black Christmas and a few other kind of like 70s films and I guess to Psycho in uh, the late 60s. But this is just kind of a take on the like the babysitter and the man upstairs urban legend. So we open with this sorority house. They are having their Christmas party. The phone rings and they're like, oh, there's that obscene prank phone caller again who just likes to call us and mutter violent, uh, abusive language at us. And some of the sorority girls uh, laugh this off, one with a very egregious line of dialogue that has not aged well. The one about the townies. Um, oh, yeah. 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 Mar <laughs> but Barb was played by Margot Kidder, which makes her um, strangely likable in spite of some of the things that come out of the character's mouth in this movie. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think there are several girls, but the main ones are Jess, Barb, and Claire. Um, Barb is is like bold and just like uh like takes the phone and um and like talks to the caller and isn't scared but Claire is a little bit concerned about these repeated phone calls and after the party she slinks up to her bedroom at which point the man on the other side of the phone uh, suffocates her with a plastic dress bag in what is still I think one of the most uh, shocking and effective kind of like jump scare slasher movie mm -hmm. kills. Um, what did you both think? Oh, agreed. I oh, mean, yeah. the, the monster in the closet was real and just used a garment bag to agonizingly suffocate a character. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty effective. And yeah, also in yeah, like modern image. turns, they don't kill off characters so quickly. Like I think that this is maybe 10 minutes into the film tops. 
And so that also itself is a jump scare, just the timestamp for when it happens. And also they kind of, it's not super heavily implied that Claire is going to be like one of the main characters, but it's pretty apparent, at least like when you first watch it, that she's going to be alive longer than she is because she's killed almost instantly, even though she's the only one who is smart enough to think. Well, not smart enough. That's a bad word. You never are prepared for someone to stalk you and kill you. But like, she's the first one who's kind of like, um, guys, for real, though, this is concerning. And everyone else is like, LOL. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She's cautious about it. She seems prudent. And yeah, and um, she is definitely she's kind of uh, I thought that while watching too, like Drew Barrymore and Scream, they sort of reverse the expectation a little bit, you think she might survive a little longer than she does. So it's a bit shocking that one of the the three or four that they've set up most strongly at the beginning is the first to go. And I I do think that kind of modern horror movies have gotten a little bit stingier with the body count, unless it's a throwback. So yeah, Sadie, I like that it's like five minutes into the film, we see someone get murdered with a dry cleaning bag. It's like chef's kiss for me personally. Um, also in the house, we've got the house mother... Um, Mrs. McHenry, who hides bottles of liquor in very interesting places Disgusting, all around the house, like some might say tanks of toilets. And- oh, that was nasty. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that too when we get there, but I think that that's like a stereotype from the seventies, right? Like older women alcoholics who hide sherry. Um, I was yeah. Justin asked me about that when I anyway. Barb is the young woman with a drinking problem in this movie, and Mrs. Mac is the older woman with a drinking problem. Um, And I think it is interesting to see how they were sort of paired in that fashion (laughs) in this film. And these girls are, you know, college students in the 70s and enjoying the sexual revolution and uh, and enter Mr. Harrison, uh, Claire's dad, who is not at all on board with the uh, licentious atmosphere of the sorority house, who (laughs) shows up to try to uh, pick up Claire and Mrs. Mack in a hilarious sequence tries to hide all of the like sexual posters and um, other stuff around the house as he looks for his daughter. And it's Um, so messed up. Neither of them realize that his daughter was murdered in the very closet that they are trying to, he's trying to see the poster on it and she's trying to cover it. Yeah. It it seems like the house is just so big that they're like, search the house. No, we'll go search the (laughs) lake instead. Like, It would take years to comb through every room of this, like, insane four-story. Nobody goes in that attic. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. You'd think you'd look all around. Um, Anyway, meanwhile, Jess and uh, Peter um, are... Peter is a piano player preparing for a big recital, and Jess is pregnant, and Jess talks with Peter about being pregnant and says that she wants to get an abortion, and what I think is a very interesting and compelling conversation that, like, you wouldn't really, I don't know, 
I hesitate. You you would see it in an indie film today, right? But you wouldn't see it in like a box office smash, like a conversation this frank about like abortion. She has a (laughs) really great speech I love where she's like, remember when you told me about all of your dreams about being a piano player about all of this stuff, like I have dreams too, and I still want to pursue those dreams. So like this doesn't fit for my life right now. Um, It's fantastic. Uh, and not draped in 80s Reagan moralism just yet. Peter, though, is n- he's not a big fan of this idea. And he, uh, oh my God, later on in the movie, <laughs> uh, really badly messes up his piano recital because he is just filled with such rage that his girlfriend doesn't want to become a mom while they're still in college. Uh, so Peter is kind of set up partway through the movie as, potential killer material given the rage we see him exhibit anyway where are we who dies next let's see nobody has died next yet Uh, mrs mac dies next oh yeah she finds claire who has been hidden in the attic yeah she's looking for claude the cat and he's going to lead her to where claire's body has been stashed and then she gets she gets by far the most, well, one of the most oh, dramatic yes. scenes. I gotta Hooked say, to the face. Which? Yeah. Why do you have a crane hook in your attic? You know, what yeah, does like a sorority house need a questions. crane hook for? Maybe was it actually to? I'm I'm thinking about this uh, practically now because the we used to have an attic like that. Well, in my parents' house, they still do, where you like open up the door and climb up to it, and it's always kind of terrifying because the ladder is so rickety and like, what if you get stuck or whatever? I don't know, but maybe they had the hook to like lift heavy objects up through the the hole? Was that a thing in attics? I don't know. It seems like it would be a bad idea to put anything that heavy in the attic. Yeah. Or maybe they use it to move furniture into windows or something because the staircases are too... Who knows? Anyway... Never mind all that. While Mrs. Mack is chasing cats into the attic to get hooked in the face, everyone else is looking around the lake for a recent a girl who has recently gone missing, and they find her body, and then the girls start to kind of piece this together of like, we've been getting these obscene phone calls, people are going missing, there's a dead girl in the park, let's report these phone calls. And at this point, we kind of enter the uh, light police procedural uh, era of the movie where there's a very strikingly handsome police lieutenant who uh, uh, helps them uh, trace phone calls and stuff. Lieutenant Fuller, who looks really familiar. I feel like I've seen him in like a gazillion things. But then sadly, after the phone gets all set up and Peter and Jess have another fight about abortion and marriage and all that, uh, Barb gets killed with the glass unicorn figurine that both Sadie and Jen have named themselves after on this <laughs> merry podcast recording day. Yeah, the, I, I can be, since Sadie beat me to the punch with unicorn figurine, I will be the extra large glass unicorn from the 2006 version of Black Christmas, much as I loathe that installment in the Black Christmas multiverse. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and so also, then, w- hang on, I just looked up the handsome police lieutenant, Samantha, and he He's been in like a trazillion horror movie, so you definitely do know him. Oh, oh John and he was in Saxon. from Dust Till Dawn. He's got a good face. He does. Uh, oh, and he was in an Argento movie I like called Tenebrae, which you both need to see because it has 
a truly unhinged sequence of Jennifer Connelly, like, anyway, that's neither <laughs> here nor there. So basically, Jess is left. She's our final girl. She's in the house. The police are tapping the phone uh, from afar. And there's a cop car parked outside very ineffectively to keep watch over the house. The town also starts up uh, like a... Uh, uh, neighborhood watch situation where they're like going from house to house, making sure everybody's good. Also ineffective. Uh, but Jess gets another phone call in which the voice on the other end of the phone talks a little bit about kind of the abortion conversation with Peter, which leads the police to suspect that uh, that it's Peter who is killing everyone. Some other girl gets murdered, I think. Yeah. That- I didn't learn the name of Phil Phyllis. Um, and we get some more cryptic backstory on the killer, uh, whose name appears to be Billy. I think, um, that's what they ended up calling him. I'll explain what they did with that in the 2006 version that we're not accepting as Canon here in a minute. Um, yeah, the killer is a mystery, but (laughs) so finally, Jess, Uh, finally, Jess gets the killer to stay on the phone long enough for the police to trace the call. And we get what has become an iconic horror movie line ever since. It's, it's one of those like misquotes Mm -hmm. where like it's not exactly how it's been, uh, repeated a million times. I'd forget the exact phrasing in the movie, but the bastardization of it is the call is coming from inside the house. So the police figure out there's another phone line inside and that the killer is indeed inside. And they say, Jess, get out of the house. And Jess, for some entirely inexplicable reason, (laughs) decides to walk deeper into the house. Um, And yeah, one of those classic horror movie moments that's designed to make you shout at the screen. I was trying to put that together. Did she think that Phil was still alive at that point? That's the yes. only reason I can think of that because she grabbed a fire poker to arm herself. She didn't real she didn't know that Barb was dead yet either. She went up yeah. to Barb's room and that's where she finds yeah. both Barb and Phil dead. So I think that she was trying to alert her housemates to get the fuck out with her. Um that's my that, that's I had to explain it to myself that way because otherwise it was just going to be too infuriating that she just weirdly ran up the stairs but <laughs> but the she finds out that her friends are dead. The killer chases her. She ends up fleeing to the basement. And Peter, king of bad timing, shows up, uh, smashes a window to get into the cellar with her and starts being like, come here, I just want to talk. Um, and <laughs> do the police jail, kill Peter? Jail. But I guess- No, <laughs> they end up finding, <laughs> yeah, Peter, like, God, he did not make himself look innocent. It just did the, it did like a reversal on us there again at the end, because you think that Peter's going to be the killer. The police finally get in and they find what, well, they find Jess on the floor and then Peter's yeah, bloody dead head. Like, he's like, on top of her but he is dead but jess is still living so then you're like oh so who the fuck is it if it's not peter i keep i've seen this movie several times but i always forget how um 
how Peter ends up dying. We don't see his death on screen. Is that right? Or no, he just no. has okay. some like very fakey looking fake blood on his head. And he's like, so I, he's dead. They wheel him on. Yeah. I imagine that Jess does think that he's the killer and she does kill him. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is because mm. if if the killer had murdered Peter, then he would not have left Jess alive. So yeah. I'm unsure. Yeah, and Jess. Had I think that it was a self poker. defense situation. Yeah, yeah. Peter had Which is blood valid. on his head, like on his forehead. I think she booped him with the poker she was holding because he <laughs> yes, was. What, what a delicate was, little word. <laughs> Boop. He was approaching her very aggressively. And uh, yeah, I think the killer's domain is the attic. And um, instead of this terrifying basement that they were in. At that yeah, point. <laughs> he must have an elevation of 30, 35 feet. <laughs> he, he gets below ground and he's like, no, gotta, gotta go back up where the air is microscopically thinner. Uh, the police get there and they're like, well, boys, our job is done. Good work, everyone. We only like lost an entire sorority house full of girls and a patrol car with uh, two of our men <laughs> in it. Well done. Um, they're like, well, Peter was definitely the killer. So Jess, you, why don't you just sleep here tonight in this house where all of your friends were killed? <laughs> While you like, are not still only is she unstable, asleep, they've sedated her. Yeah, like she was like traumatized. They've sedated her. They tell the detectives they won't be able to question her till the next day, and then they're all like, "Well, our work here is done, boys. Let's just roll and out and like not leave her with a single soul moment. to explain what happened when she wakes up." <laughs> like it yeah, seems like they, they just leave her did with one to like have someone there in the room with her but then they get distracted like they're a bunch of cats and they just like they're like wow and then they all just like lead each other out of the house like blind mice and then that's it yeah they like leave one officer posted outside her room or something and these police officers have proved no, themselves to be the very capable so that will surely yeah uh, yeah they all ended up i think sadie had it right that they they all think somebody else is handling it and they all literally leave the house. <laughs> yeah, if the call were coming from inside the house and they knew that, you think and all of these girls got murdered without any of them noticing that someone was repeatedly calling them from inside their own house. You'd think you'd want to do a thorough sweep of the house finally, you know, just like one sweep through the whole thing and to try to find out where, quote unquote, Peter's little nest was that he was making all these calls from. And they've still that was what else um, surprised me, because they're having a whole conversation about how we're going to have to like take these bodies at, like the the morgue at this hospital isn't equipped for this many bodies. But the police only have three bodies at that time, which are Barb, Phil, and Peter. But they don't even know about the other two bodies up in the attic. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Mrs. Mac, Claire, and the cat, RIP. Um, yeah. Did Claude so- canonically die or is he still out there somewhere? He Claude. did stop meowing. Claude is the cat. Oh, yeah. I 
Uh, it doesn't bode well for poor little Claude, I fear. Um, <laughs> at least it didn't show Claude's death. That would have been a bridge too far. Yeah, but uh, at the end, we hear Billy's little demented voice, so we know he's still kicking, and the phone starts ringing. Dun, dun, dun. And that was Black Christmas 1974. What did you both think of this early slasher movie? Sadie first. Um, well, I have seen it once before, but I was scared. So I wasn't paying attention the first time I watched it. But I I watched it right after I watched the 2019 version. Um, And so coming back to it, and also with the memory of a goldfish, I once again loved it. I think just in terms of the amount of gore that you see on screen and also that it taps into my deepest fear and also the film techniques are fantastic. I love it. I think it's so it's campy, but it's very understated. Also, I just I also love the set the setting of it. And also the tree, which intrigues me intellectually, because it has a lot of tinsel on it. But it also has what appears to be cobwebs on it as well, which gives it kind of this hazy right. background feeling. Yeah, did I you was notice so confused that too? about that? Did they get the tree out of the attic? Did that like they have like spider web decorations? I was like, is this supposed to be a really weird fake snow? Like, what is this heavy faux cobwebbery on the tree? I'm glad you brought that up, Sadie. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Please continue. Thank you, Jen. I'm glad I brought it up too. (laughs) (laughs) I... So I love this movie. And well, in general, I don't like unhappy endings, but I think that this killer is so like, it's genius. The idea of not having him ever be seen directly on camera. It's mostly through like POV shots or like his hand or his part of his face or like just kind of pieces of him. And you never really get a lot about who he is because it like, if you were to know more about him and to see him in full, it would almost ground him a little bit. So it would be less, it would be more so like this is a person and less so this is just what every woman thinks of when she's walking down the street in the dark or when she is home alone. Like that just kind of taps into that fear, you know, like when I'm home alone, I'm like double, triple checking that I've locked all the doors. I have the lights on, truly scared for my life, adrenaline pumping as though I am in an active war zone. <laughs> like, And so I feel like this movie really like clues in on that fear. So I'm a big fan. I agree, Sadie. Um, I think that this movie is very effective in part because uh, this is one of my, I will say up front, I really dislike the genre of home invasion horror because it freaks me out so much. I mean, like when I was a kid, I was so bothered by hearing about what happened in Psycho that I was fucking terrified to shower or, you know, close my eyes in the shower. I was absolutely destroyed by that urban legend about the man in the back seat and check my back seat to this day. You know, I, I never watched the original screams because of the beginning of that. And the play on the call is coming from inside the house thing, you know, 
Um, I don't think I could have comfortably watched this until I was in my mid thirties. And I have hit a stage of life where I don't worry so much about being murdered because if somebody tries to murder me, then what happens is going to happen. And either my adrenaline will kick in and I will be able to like blunt trauma damage their head and like save myself or I won't, you know? But now that I have a level of comfort with that, yes, I did enjoy watching it. And I thought that it, it really did clue. And honestly, though, I blame this for what uh, it's an interesting time for that to be released because I believe that it was based on some babysitter murders in Canada. Um, and I, what's the word? Not enjoy. I appreciate, I suppose, that it took inspiration without directly crediting. I kind of, I really dislike true crime and sort of the mythos of serial killer legends that get built up and um, the focus that that gives and the impact that it allows a serial killer to have on everyone else that they didn't get a chance to attempt to murder or murder. But then at the same time, because we all are aware of this, maybe some of us have been safe from weirdos who would break into murder us these days. I don't know. Anyway, but <laughs> this was my first time. But Samantha, say what you're bursting to say. <laughs> I, I've been bursting to say that I'm not sure I would call it a home invasion movie because Billy is just up in his little attic the whole time. He never invades. Billy. He's been there the whole time. <laughs> if anything, How do we mute those girls are the invaders. <laughs> Well, Samantha then would love the 2006 version of Black Christmas. Uh, with this oh, beat. no. Don't they, like, try to give him a backstory and all yeah. this stuff? So uh. this was my first viewing of 1974 Black Christmas. And then I saw that there are two more Black Christmas films uh, released in 2006 and 2019. So given that my mother would have been 19 when Black Christmas 1974 came out, I would have just turned 21 when Black Christmas 2006 came out. And then we have a 2019 one that's about as up to date as we can get pre-pandemic. I this yeah, even though Sadie this, would have like, been yeah. born in 2019. <laughs> so we've got Sadie, all the bases covered. Yes. Yeah. I felt like I needed to watch them all to be able to compare the approaches to the subject matter of sorority girls getting systematically murdered in their sorority house um, in those time periods. And wow, 2006 was so bad. I mean, I knew that it would be because it was a movie made in 2006 and it was a horror movie made in 2006. And it was a horror slasher where young women are killed in 2006 and Harvey Weinstein produced it. So I was not expecting it to be good, but wow, it was bad. Um, In the 2006 version, well, going back for a second, uh, in my skims of the Wikipedias uh, before I watched these, I saw that there was criticism of the 1974 version um, because like Siskel and Ebert or whatever, uh, like a bunch of people when it came out wrote it off as gruesome titillation of you yeah. know people just wanting to see young, beautiful girls get murdered. And That's that- very <laughs> typical of how slasher films were received in the uh, late 70s and 80s was just like, uh, yeah, they assumed it was just like pornographic titillation. Um, and they kind of missed what the entire genre is doing because um, oh, women totally. love slasher movies. Oh, uh, it's anyway. so, uh, it was really interesting comparing that directly to the 2006 one particularly because they tried to keep the, the mythos and the events linked in those two that 
In 74, the movie was criticized for not being feminist or respectful to women enough, which now you look at it and the horror parts are almost quaint. And the consideration of the women as characters and the explicit statement of, you know, her abortion being a good choice and stuff or the abortion she wanted on screen, that is not something that would have happened in 2006. And it's so funny to see the reversal in which the killer is centered. We get a bunch of backstory that's perhaps not supposed to excuse, but is supposed to explain the killer's motivations and make it understandable. And the women characters really are just there to get much more gruesomely murdered than (laughs) the characters in the 74 version. It's very like uh, the writer and Helen Peterson likes to coin the phrase post-feminist dystopia, talking about like that early to, you know, and the early 2000s and Audie's attitude that we are past feminism that that's anyway, in 2006, this is, I still hadn't had my own feminist awakening quite then yet till probably the the next year in 2007. I still was in that uh, early 2000 to mid 2000 stage of thinking that if I myself aligned myself with, with men societally and refused to mm. acknowledge patriarchy and sexism that it could not affect me, you know, was sort of like the ward there. <laughs> and God, wow, this, this movie definitely, the 2006 version is like clapping itself on the back, thinking that it has strong female characters. And wow, oh, it was just, it was so bad. This is my problem with a lot of slasher reboots because I think they've, they've done it with, Halloween, obviously, a couple times, also with um, Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. They're always like, you know what viewers want to see this time around? More backstory for the killers. And it's like, no, what makes them scary is you don't know why they're doing what they're doing. You know, like what, what was scary about Black Christmas is the same thing that was scary about Michael Myers is it's just like, there's this dude and he's killing people and all he seems to want to do is kill people and we don't really know why he's doing it. And that's much more terrifying than it being like, oh, Billy was, uh, you know, uh, uh, domestically abused as a child and this is his you know, revenge or something on his mother. They also added in because the killer, you didn't give a fuck in the first movie. What in the world the killer was rambling about. I mean, it's, it was like just supposed to be disturbing and nonsensical, but they took the utterances of the names, Billy and Agnes and spun it off into a thing about an abused boy who was kept locked in the attic and assaulted by his own mother and fathered his own sister. And they had to murder their mother to survive. And now they're under, inch killers and then they threw in like some weird transphobia that popped up at the end by having a cis man with a little bit of lip gloss on play Agnes who was a second killer and they're trying to take their house back and then they go like totally supernatural where they can survive like any damage that is done to them in completely unbelievable ways until finally Billy is impaled on a Christmas tree at the end. Sadie, you saw the 2019 one first. So did I. Oh, but Sadie saw it first. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to talk about that one next. Hit us, Sadie. How did you come to see the 2019 version? Well, when I saw the 2019 version, I did not know that it was a remake. I just saw it was on a streaming service, and I was like, okay, click. And then I watched it. And I... (laughs) 
As far as, okay, I hold that Black Christmas 2019 could have been really good. It was different from the original in some key ways. And also, um, if you don't mind me spoiling uh, Samantha, the ending of it, I think that it kind of takes that, that because- in the in the 1974 version, Billy slash the killer just kind of represents the the threats that women have just by existing, and that it's entirely plausible that some fucking creep could just be like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna harass and potentially kill this woman, and I'm gonna do it for like years," <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And so, which it's he's less and of a person, and it doesn't matter of a what metaphor. the creep's motivations are. Exactly. Yeah. Because uh, Sadie, exactly, exactly. He's he's just kind of an embodiment of these things and these fears that women actually do have to live with. And so, in the 2019 version, they take that and kind of expand it out. And so, you discover that the killer is actually all of the boys in this one frat, and they are killing the women. So that they can, what, what's the purpose of it? I'm trying to remember, but they're basically a dark cult, this frat group. And oh, they interesting. Like, yeah, I can't remember what the purpose of them killing the women is, but there's like a purpose to it, like a ritual. And they need- Would you like me to enlighten you? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. I, like Sadie, uh, I actually really enjoyed a lot of the movie. And then I even, if I had been college age myself and like getting buzzed with my friends while I was watching it, I would have probably even loved the subtle as a sledgehammer ludicrous ending <laughs> but watching it now it, it kind of jumped the shark at the end because it's implied heavily you know that these frat dudes are bad guys and they're making these like s- women they're sacrificing these sorority women um to gain power or whatever but then at the very like at the end it sort of takes the responsibility away from the frat dudes, including and up to the one who who had assaulted our main character three years previously, because they're all getting driven insane by the black goo that comes from the bust of the founder of the college, who was a misogynist and could possess young men to keep women in line. So that was kind of because like the two more decent dudes, you know, who you meet in the movie. I thought that this movie was going to go kind of the way of the first one and show that like the enemy is men <laughs> in the you know even the in the first movie even the men who um, are more benevolent toward the women or try to be helpful just fuck things up worse and and you know and I thought that that was how 2019 was going to go but then at the end it was sort of like oh but the good guys actually were driven nuts by this ringing sound they hear in their ears by the evil supernatural founder of the college. Um, so that was a little bit of a bummer that it suddenly pivoted from the, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> that this is but like it, an uh, unknowable boundaries of the enemy. But, but it kind yes. of expanded out on like the concept of like, these murders are happening because the entire institution sanctions it. And yes, like these women don't matter 
like this entire group of like 30 to 40 boys are just going around killing these women and it's sanctioned by like other people who are like in power in the university yeah who are i guess that i just wanted being super picky about it i wanted a little bit more indication that anybody besides carrie elwes um had purposefully chosen this yeah. um you know like i mean obviously the the dude who who assaulted our main chicky years ago he was evil prior to the black goo and all of this stuff but i think that the i saw at the time, I remember that 2019 Black Christmas did not get very well reviewed. And I think that it was just a mismatch of expectations because you go into this movie and you see that Bloomhouse Productions opening and you think that this is going to be a fucking slasher, like horror, horror movie, you know? And that it's going to call back to, they did have some really cute callbacks. Actually. I like that their cat was Claudette in this one. And, you know, they definitely had some characters who mirrored the, the first movie in several I, ways, but um, I feel like they, um, where they went. Well, number one, it's a little bit of a Jennifer's body situation. Kind of like what you were talking about that. Like it was just kind of a miss judging of what the movie is and also a little I won't say ahead of its time because it was like two years ago but like I feel like a lot of people just didn't really get it but also a lot of the writing was bad (laughs) (laughs) it did get very it crossed over into major camp by the end and I could watching it with that in mind I could really appreciate it but it is not Oh, and okay. So both of you, but specifically, I'm going to address this to Samantha um, because I was t- trying to explain this to Justin and trying to figure out the words to articulate it that I, th- I, I really enjoyed it, even though it was campy and cheesy at the end and like wrapped things up too well. And, uh, you know, but I, it's not a horror movie. Black Christmas 2019, I'm not sure exactly. It's like a girl power, like, uh, you know, a very satisfying, like, baby feminist, like, thriller with, like, some horror trappings where we have deaths. But it was very careful to keep um, a lot of the deaths, especially of the women off screen or out of the viewpoint, you know. We didn't see anybody suffocate in a plastic bag, which that was a God in the 2006 version. They not only had to show multiple women getting suffocated within a plastic bag, but they put this horrible Foley sound that sounded like a screeching rat over top of it. And then they would show like their eyeballs getting weirdly gouged out. There was like a motif of that. So 2019 was a nice break that you knew the girls had gotten murdered, but you didn't have to watch anybody like being garroted with the Christmas lights so much. And it was like very, yeah, it would be like a satisfying thing to watch with your girls and pump your fist and like yell and laugh about how silly, but satisfying the stuff at the end is. But this was marketed as a horror movie. And I think that that would definitely have disappointed me if I were a horror head going in expecting something more like Black Christmas 1974 and getting something that was more uplifting than Cabin in the Woods, you know? So anyway, this was like the longest fucking introduction whatsoever to ask Samantha, what are the genre conventions that make a horror movie a horror movie? Because I feel like if 2019 Black Christmas had pulled back 
to end on a slightly more hopeless note to show that the problem is so systemic and so big that it expands beyond the boundaries of this college and that even though the women have gotten a win in this scenario, that this is just the beginning, then it could have maybe still squeaked in to qualify as horror. But it did not do that. And so I don't know what it is that makes a horror a horror, but I know that this was not it. I believe the 74 one and the Audis version were both rated R. And then this one was PG-13, I think. And I remember there being some fear over that because like, you know, I think what Blumhouse is doing with a, a lot of they have some still like flagship rated R films, but they are producing a lot of these PG-13 teen marketed horror movies like uh, Truth or and Dare or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, I mean, it makes business sense to do PG-13 quote unquote horror movies because you don't lock out a big chunk of the movie going audience from the box office and teens can still feel like they're getting the titillating thrill of going to a horror movie, even if the scariest thing that happens is the girl from Pretty Little Liar's eyes get stretched out in a Snapchat filter, you know, like, um, <laughs> I think I, I think I worry a little bit about that. Uh, just like it, it's a, it's a common move. Like this has been a feature since the PG 13 rating of like trying to thread that line and, and make kind of horror light movies, but to take a property like Black Christmas, which has like unicorn figurines going into people's eyes and like genuinely horrifying images and give it the like PG-13 treatment. A lot of fans, I think, are un- were understandably upset about that. But yeah, I don't think you need to have gore to be a horror movie. I don't think you need to have an R rating to be a horror movie, but it does have to be genuinely cutting uh, in some way and make you uncomfortable. And uh, sometimes what's being marketed as horror to teens these days is more just like social thrillers with like some light, violent or supernatural elements. I think about like the craft remake too, um, feels kind of along those lines. I guess that was sort of my thinking is that to me, a horror is sort of like how you can't publish a romance novel that doesn't have a happily ever after or a happily for now ending and expect romance fans to read it and enjoy it. Like that's, it's missing a key component of the genre. And I guess in horror, I expect not only like not a happy ending, but just something to indicate that the evil is ongoing that you still can't rest. Like it's like a forever vigilance kind of thing is what I associate, I suppose, with horror. Like it needs to leave you feeling unsettled after the movie instead of feeling like, fuck yeah, I got a big win over on the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, to me, like some of my favorite iconic movies that I think really capture the essence of horror are this one and the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where it's like, these are not stories about good triumphing over evil. Um, They're not necessarily like morality plays, although they can deal with like complicated thematic territory. Like there's something about the intransigence of evil and like the inability of escaping like death that I think is like gotta be there, you know, like my favorite 
I don't know if either of you have seen original Texas Chainsaw. There's a final girl. This is a common trope for anyone not familiar. It's the character who's left at the end, um, uh, often survives, sometimes is the last to be killed, like usually right before the movie ends. Um, And the final girl in Texas Chainsaw just barely gets away from the uh, chainsaw-wielding killer, climbs in the back of a truck. In the last shot of the movie, one of the most beautiful, I think, in all of cinema is her covered in blood, just laughing her head off, like as the truck speeds away into the sunset. And it's clear uh, her brain is going to be no good from now on. Like she has survived, but she is forever traumatized by this experience. Um, And yeah, I I think like the ones that are kind of marketed more towards teens or as we get more into this era where we're kind of like, I don't know, using Twitter as assignment editors and like playing out political and social points in two on the nose kinds of ways in the media we're making. Um, we tend to just like have, I think, flatter final girls that just kind of like, well, she survived because uh, she deserved to because it's the right thing for her to survive or something. I will say as a plus for the 2019 one, which I actually enjoyed the most of the three just due to my personal taste. Um, and also <laughs> I did Sadie, I've got to bring you back in on this too, though. Justin watched the end of the 2019 one with me and he was smiling and cheering at parts where he explained to me that the parts where I think that the thing is there is such powerful subtext in 1974 Black Christmas and that informs the narrative so much and the sense of dread of it all when the the authority figures and all these men don't believe the women and they won't do things that help effectively and they don't you know, and and all the women die um, up to Jess, who is left in a precarious situation, you know, and we we don't know her fate. Um, (laughs) And then the 2019 version, it is that meme of I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. Like, it's like, no, we are not going to (laughs) let any fucking body walk out of this without having Carrie Elways directly say this line on the screen. And, (laughs) and Justin fucking loved it. And he told me that it's just a Sagittarius thing, baby. I just like the (laughs) the over the top, like camp of it all. And I was saying Samantha and I, the Scorpio Capricorn, moments when people say the subtext sometimes samantha and i get like oh cringe oh no they just explicated the narrative out loud and but from the sagittarius point of view i have been sagittarius explained that black christmas 2019 is excellent (laughs) does jess kill billy with like a katana that has fuck the patriarchy etched into it in the 2019 one Actually, she does. Uh, she lifts the black goo weeping statue of the founder who is like given the frat their supernatural powers over her head. And where, well, um, Princess Bride and Saw Guy yells at her, no, to stop. Like, women can't live without men from across the room. She throws it to the floor where it crashes into a <laughs> yeah. million pieces. And all the other sorority girls who are also getting murdered, the survivors rush in and they're all just beating these like 
hooded and cloaked dudes to death with like random weaponry. And then somehow they set the frat house on fire and they all ran out the front and escaped. So <laughs> yeah. now would I love to see this as a 14 year old? Yes. Like I do not think that it is a bad thing that this movie exists in the world. Like, but I do think it's weird. The trajectory of black Christmas um, through the years. Yeah. It's a tricky thing, right? Because like I, I certainly don't align myself with the segment of horror fans who would be like, oh, they're putting politics in our horror movies, right? That common, like, regressive nerddom <laughs> uh, line, because politics have always been in horror movies. Just watch Black Christmas 1974. It, like, Roe v. Wade was decided, what, like, two years before that? And here you have, like, a movie dealing, like, frankly and forthrightly with this, like, hot button think- in 74, I'm not sure about the exact dates on this, but I found that so fascinating. And also that this was Canadian, that because when I was graduating high school in 2003, I remember Degrassi, The Next Generation, would play a Canadian teen show, uh, would play um, on the N network in the United States. But the two-part abortion episode from the Canadian teen show was not allowed to air in the the U.S. So I've still never seen it to this Mm. day. Um, In that like mid, early mid Audis period, that was completely verboten subject matter. And in the 2006 Black Christmas, for one thing, they had Oliver Hudson cast and he was born in the 70s which was like made him really kind of weirdly old to be a boyfriend of this like 20 year old girl in the movie. And and the reason that he was the bad boyfriend they had as the red herring instead of the (laughs) Peter's creepy abusiveness and wanting to force Jess to not have the abortion and keep the baby and, and marry him in lieu of him passing his piano test, you know, came across as a disturbingly believable, like, uh, you know, how abusive dudes end up, killing their women partners um, sort of thing. The 2006 one was really weirdly that there there were more women characters in it. There, there were more sorority sisters than in the first movie. And there were two blonde ones and a whole bunch of brunette ones. And no, maybe three blondes because there was another one named Eve. I thought they were setting up to have be the Agnes sister, but then she wasn't. She brought the glass unicorn into the 2006 version for whatever reason. Um, anyway, the boyfriend was had cheated on his one blonde girlfriend with the other blonde girl in the house and made a sex tape of it. And then that gets, it was just like 2006 oh, topical sex yeah. tape. Yeah. <laughs> and like, what does this, like, there was no real discussion of the girl, of course, who had appeared in the sex tape with him is the Claire girl who gets killed first. And they don't discover this until later. And uh, it, it was just yeah. sort of like. He's a shitty dude for making a sex tape without her consent. And then somebody who wasn't him published it on, quote, the net. But what does that say about anything? (laughs) Yeah. But like... So it, once I don't align myself with people who are like, speaking of these modern horror reboots of like, why are they making them more inclusive or putting politics in them or whatever? At the same time, I feel like when you make things too on the nose or make the subtext too texty, uh, I do get the cringe for sure. And that's <laughs> yes. sort of more my issue with it of like, I wish writers of TV these days 
could deal with complicated sociopolitical subjects in a little more like subtle and nuanced way that isn't so worried about the audience not getting it, you know? And I feel like there's a lot of over-explaining and uh, heavy-handedness that's happening lately, where it's like, did I just watch a movie or did I read a Twitter thread that like I already agree with, you know? Um, yeah, but to fulfill the stated purpose of our podcast, we need to propose some other men for Jess besides um, Peter, her abusive um, uh, boyfriend. Quick sidebar before we propose other romance options. What the fuck happened to that hockey boyfriend who of of Claire who wore the big fur coat? I thought he was going to turn out to be the killer. And then he just like disappears after a little bit. Did something actually that I just missed? Did he also get off or did he just be like, well, I told the police my girlfriend's going is gone. Like now I got to head home for Christmas and he just doesn't show back up. They kind of seeded him being this alpha male aggro thing and had the scenes of him wearing the creepy hockey mask. And I definitely thought he was going to come back into play in a bigger way. And then he just was gone. Yeah. Got to Got to get home. Got to get home by Christmas. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, mama's gingerbread bread waits for no hockey masked <laughs> giant fur coat wearing man <laughs> admittedly this movie does not have a lot of options for jess um a lot of uh, yeah or so, age appropriate okay, options okay, i guess here is my read. i was go ahead, you go first Okay, Barb clearly is unhappy. She is self-medicating with liquor constantly, like even at the children's charity party. Barb is not okay with her life now. I don't think Barb is straight. And I think that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. released from some of the confines of cultural you know, things that keep them feeling trapped where they are, that Barb and Jess are the couple of that movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I, so I actually paired up Barb in my head with Phyllis, with Phil, because oh, they have a lot of Phil is such a lesbian. Of course, Jen, 1000%. And so they have these like more like sexually charged scenes, like There's the part where Barb is drunk and she's talking about how everyone thinks that she killed Claire. And Phyllis is kind of talking to her the way that I imagine a romantic partner would talk to their to their like someone yes. who's like kind of there's like some and sexual Phyllis is tension. the only one she listens to. Yes, when everybody so else I tells her to up. shut it down, she just gets louder and angrier until Phil says it, yes. and then she's like, "Okay, I'll shut up and go to bed." Oh, Sadie, so I pair I pair Barb with Phyllis, and I pair uh, Jess with Claire. And I know we did not get a lot of time with Claire, but I think that she is so sweet and is such a like direct opposite from the controllingness of Peter. And I also think that when Claire is going upstairs, like Jess is the one to like rush up and like ask if she's okay. And it seems as though Jess wants to say more to her, but they don't get a chance to. And so those are my official pairings is Claire with Jess and then Barb with Phyllis. Yes. I agree. You've sold me. I was just going to stick Barb and Jess together as kind of like, the two top build characters, but you've convinced me your pairings are the way. 
no, none of the women in that movie. I was about to say nobody. And then I was like, well, I mean, maybe somebody in the, but uh, none of those girls should have been with any of the men that are presented in Black Christmas 1974. No. They were all terrible. Even the good looking one, like they're, they're just bad. They're ineffectual and they suck and they will not save you from being murdered. <laughs> so don't date those guys. <laughs> 1974 ladies. What if... 20 years from now, when the age gap between them means less, she dates a certain handsome retired police lieutenant on his second mm-hmm. wife. <laughs> or, or do Maybe I just like his eyebrows? You like Who his knows? eyebrows. Samantha, this is usually you are, are one to hold out against the charms of handsome men, even though they suck. But the face so of type, Lieutenant Samantha? What's His Name in Was 1974 has got you. I like his whole vibe. 70s detectives. <laughs> I mean, 70s movies in general are just really great. Everyone should go watch Clute with uh, Jane Fonda and What's His Face. Um, but yeah, se- okay. in the 70s, people could still be kind of like unconventional looking and uh and like not that yeah, he's like hot. not conventionally yeah. hot but like he doesn't have instagram hot like uh john uh what's it's john cena face or whatever it's just <laughs> like, like wait, wait, yeah wait 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 i would cancel all my other thoughts we have to pause to question samantha but Samantha, your idea of Instagram hot is John Cena. I don't the know. I'm face? just like throwing out people who I know get cast in uh, like top male like roles these days. Chris of Evans, just like uh, super built, rectangular face. You know. Oh um, yeah, you're. I think all you're rectangles. also seeing very much the prevalence of um, performance enhancing drugs of all all male actors now are roided the fuck out we don't know what a man who is not taking steroids looks like anymore from movies oh that's right did Chris Pratt is there are there I, I want to avoid defamation but there are certainly rumors that he is roided as part of his body transformation yeah oh Kumail oh, sure. had to have done it for um, his for the Eternals too yeah I read actually this really fascinating article about it recently that I will message you guys and post to the discord but like yeah it's it's just that my favorite response and this is from a few years ago was when Tom Hardy was questioned about it for some roles that he had done I don't think he he does anymore because he just is like a sweaty schlubby man in venom and more power to him to that i respect that immensely but somebody asked him in an interview like did he do anything to to beef up for whatever role he had done and he was like well what the fuck do you think i was doing eating smarties and like just imagine that in tom hardy voice and it's perfect but yeah it's rampant like we <laughs> we see no well we see very few women's faces that are not full of um botulism and filler these days and we see like zero men in a superhero action movie who have not been on an intensive regimen of 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 roids along with their eating like 17 chicken breasts a day and doing tons of time in the gym yeah human growth hormone they should just put it in in the water fountains in hollywood huh (laughs) 
But yeah, he was a hottie. I think it's right on us to call out that that. And he is the one character in that movie, our lieutenant guy who Samantha, let me bring up his so we can give him proper credit for his face. What is his name? John Saxon. He has great eyebrows. It is quite true. R.I.P. John Saxon, who passed in 2020. Oh, dang. Oh, and his really? real name was Carmine or- Orico. Oh, he went with Carmine. the name John Saxon for... Bring back the name Carmine. Yeah. Am I right, <laughs> fellas? We just don't see that anymore. God damn it. The world is rife with Nicks. Where's the Carmines? Yeah. And he had to be John to make it in Hollywood. Carmine, I mean, John is a great name. My father's name is John, but Carmine, that's a name to go with this guy's face. Yeah. It's all Chris In the 70s, generally, a great era. Xander's. Yep. (laughs) Xander's. Do you you know a Xander? (laughs) Actually, I don't know. I know an Xavier. I don't know a Xander. It doesn't. It's a very common name amongst my age group. Ah, <laughs> oh, Samantha, this is the generational divide. Gen Zers are named Xander. The Chris's live in our generation. I hate it. <laughs> What happened now, with Chris? Why were, Why are there so many Chris's? So many Chris's. God, I don't know. You know, one time my dad in high school just randomly asked me, he was like, obviously, I don't want you to have children for like the next 20 years, ideally. But have you ever given any thought to children names? And I was like, um, why do you ask? <laughs> and he's like, I just really want to put my vote in for the name Christian. I like it. And I was like, uh, thank you, but veto. <laughs> and he was like, I understand. And then that was it. <laughs> and then like a month later, he was like, Ow. so what about the name Zach? And I was like, I also don't like that. And he's like, I, I, I respect that. And I was like, okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Daughter, you know what you should name your your hypothetical future child? Christian. <laughs> Christian. I was this like, is amazing. Well, I think he probably was watching a movie with like Christian Slater and was like, yeah, you know what? This rips, actually. <laughs> I like this name. <laughs> Similar energy to when my gunkle pulled me aside and he was like, I'm betting with money right now. That when you get married, and if you change your last name, the person you'll marry will be Stevens. Like the last name is Stevens, and I was like, okay, be Stevens. <laughs> I don't like it, but <laughs> wild, wild confidence that you're going in with. Damn, this is, I, I've got to start thinking now about the weird shit I'm going to say to my nibblings, like it, like predictions about their lives. I need to start laying down when I spend time with them. <laughs> Inspirational. Is anyone going to watch Black Christmas 1974 with their families this Christmas? There's I a think chance that I will have one my step dad ahead Christmas. of me there. My mom will. I watched my it mom with will kill already. Me. <laughs> She'll strangle me with a <laughs> with a garment bag for suggesting it. But <laughs> Christmas movie viewing in uh, the Samantha household uh, will be The Matrix Resurrections, which I've already seen, but which my parents will be viewing for the first time. My mom just watched the first three Matrix films two weeks ago and (gasps) has, in my brother's words, been Matrix-pilled. She is a (laughs) 70-year-old woman who is 
just like deep into lore about the matrix. Like she watched the first three and then she was like texting my brother being like, it says on the internet that like Neo blah, 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 blah. Like she was like going deep, like reading fan theories and stuff. Okay. So, okay. So never too late. I was going to say once we finished recording and we're discussing amongst ourselves, our schedule for the coming month, we already have a film lined up for next week, final week of December, I was going to say we need to do The Matrix Resurrections for our first movie of January. Do you think it may be possible to do like a brief 10 minute interview or like get your mom's thoughts on we can splice in there? (laughs) I'm not not sure I want to open that. I like though... (laughs) That uh, the would the other guy just be the blue pill? Would we be arguing for the blue pill? I mean, I don't know because I still haven't watched it yet. I'm going the to other watch guy it. Would be Jonathan well, probably Goff. on Christmas Eve. Tomorrow. I have not seen Matrix Resurrections. Oh before, yes, I have not seen it either. But isn't did you um, watch it on HBO Max? Morpheus is Yahya Abdul Mateen in this. I and did. He is so yeah. hot. Oh. I really loved the Morpheus in this one. He was very like. Definitely had the most personality of anyone in the movie. Like, I have most followed that energy man in their performance on Instagram for a few years now, just solely. Oh, because he played that, um, the disco dancing drug dealer in um, the get up. The was that the the get down the show? Hang on, I'm looking it up. Oh, the Baz Luhrmann one. Yeah. Oh, I fucking love that. The get down. Yes, and yeah. it was like cruelly canceled before it could do its final season. But he was so amazing in that that I started following him, and I am really thrilled for Yahya Abdul Mateen like supremacy to rise. He has gotten so many incredible roles um, since then. He's like a, a sort of a minor villain in the first Aquaman movie, but hopefully he has a larger role in the second. He had a major role in the the Watchmen um, TV series. And then he had that Candyman thing that seemed kind of like sus, but at least he's like getting an awesome headlining like thing. Yeah. Oh, I just I'm excited to see him like completely take over Hollywood and be on our screens much, much more. Well, it seems like we've got some uh, some Matrix in our future. That's exciting. And as for Black Christmas, I'll give 1974 Black Christmas four out of five, I think. Um, very important movie. A uh, little uneven and rough around the edges in parts, but compelling visuals, great direction, and yeah, hugely influential and a delight to watch and rewatch. And I suppose you two will have to rate all of the Black Christmases you've seen. Oh, and I'll give mine an object. <laughs> I'll give it four out of five sheets of cellophane used for suffocation. I will give Black Christmas 1974 four cobweb-covered Christmas trees out of five. I thoroughly enjoy it. I think it's very well done. It's kind of a foundational piece in horror that I wish that like some horror people would like maybe look back on it and refresh themselves a little bit. Um, I definitely think now that I'm reflecting on it that like James Wan of Malignant Fame most recently probably drew some inspiration from it just with like 
Well, I shan't spoil malignant, but I got some flavoring in there. Um, And yeah, I think that this is just a really dread-filled horror that, in my opinion, isn't overly scary, but also does make you really terrified to be a person uh, living in a a home. Um, with an attic. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> let's see. And then Black Christmas 2019, I will give it um, three smash the patriarchy pins out of five. I enjoyed it. There were just a lot of things that I wish they'd done differently. Some stuff that I wish was a lot less ham fisted, which maybe just goes down to, you know, they're trying to write like very, very late Gen Zers slash or late millennial, early Gen Zers, I don't know, whatever, whatever age bracket I'm in, um, written by like Gen Xers. So it just doesn't feel like a bunch of 40. Yeah. It feels like a bunch of 40 year olds writing. What are you guys like? Sadie is like a Malinzi. Yeah. A Zennial. Uh, no, that's a that's an X crossing into a millennial. Like Sadie's the uh, on the other end of that. I, like a millennial into Gen Z. Both about my um conspiracy theory that the concept of like splitting people up into age brackets what and like was created by the government to pit us against each other in these oh, dark, Sadie, trying times. I can't believe we haven't talked about this before because 1000% this middle and side part shit is just such an obviously planted psyop. Skinny jeans versus high waist, who gives a fuck? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, but it's so effective because you see they just have somebody lob a bomb out there and say that like, oh, millennials are stupid because they like side parts. And then I'm like, what? I see a millennial I know who wears a middle part be getting online upset about like the defamation, you know? And like, it, yeah, oh, yeah. it gets people big I mad. I mean, the people fall for it like like sand traps in the jungle. But um, that's my that's my <laughs> official conspiracy theory take of the week. And as we all know, jungles are full of sand traps. Um, yeah. Have you oh, ever seen Barbie Jungle Adventure? Jen. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have not. But Sadie, I will <laughs> rectify this. <laughs> but no, because I agree with you about I think that it's all just I seriously think that it's fucking like, de- like such obviously deliberately planted psyops bullshit to get us all like arguing with each other about stupid stuff instead of like, combining our powers to like confront inequality and topple capitalism. Anyway, the 1974 Black Christmas, I will give. <sighs> hmm. I will give it four out of five empty bottles of Mrs. Max Sherry secreted around the house um, where she is caring for these girls. God, actually that removing the sherry from the toilet tank scene was the most horrifying moment of the entire movie. You're so right. And that is saying something. But damn, wasn't that interesting that like she was actually, again, Mrs. Mack in the 1974 version said something about what women were facing then in the state of the world. They couldn't live in a house with other young women peers their own age without having a chaperone who clearly obviously also has limited options in life herself and is miserable at being stuck in this situation, but this is the best option available to her. And so it really all kind of went there in the 74 version. And that's why it gets a four out of five. 2006 version, 
gets the single glass unicorn, which they seed in the beginning by having the weirdly awkward housemate, who I'm not sure why she would be a sorority sister, gift it to one of the others um, so that it could be used to stab somebody later. It was just like, I would say that what the 2006 Black Christmas is good for is looking at as an example of what not to do. And if you want to learn about what life and, you know, the state of feminism was like in 2006, it is kind of an unfortunately apt object lesson, but it really sucked. And um, I would not recommend it if you want to just keep enjoying your life. And then the 2019 Black Christmas, I will give, I will give four of four girls dressed in the exact same slutty Santa outfits as the, um, the quartet from Mean Girls performing a sassy song about fraternities being rapists to the fraternity themselves and then being surprised that the frat guys literally tried to murder them. I enjoyed it immensely, but it was like very like what's beyond on the nose, like in the nose, up the nose. But if you're in the mood for that, there's a COVID test. If you're in the mood for that, and that's if you want to go in watching something that's a little bit scary and does, you know, have something to say about the patriarchy, but that you're not going to get too scared and you're going to like fist pump with the like ridiculousness of, you know, our heroines winning out at the end, I would recommend 2019 Black Christmas. And those are my three ratings. Jen, what kind of sharp ornaments should people (laughs) shove into our faces? Glass unicorns, obviously, Samantha. I don't even know why you asked. And they should do so with five of them um, in our ratings nostrils. Um, <laughs> you can rate on Spotify me. now. Yes. You can... And you should give us a five stars. Also, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts. I agree. Even if or you don't listen to us on us. Spotify, go over to Spotify and give us Wait, the what? old five stars and then delete Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm a Spotify and an Android user, so I don't have Apple Podcasts. But yeah, uh, give us give us five stars on Spotify. And if you don't like us, that is very unfortunate, and um, we feel badly um, that we have let you down. But why are you still listening to the podcast at this point? Please just spare yourself and don't try to give us like very detailed constructive criticism because we will not listen to it. We love you. Go forth. Be free. But if you don't want to be free of us, you can find us on Twitter at YSSTOG or you can write us longer form emails at YSSTOGpodcast at gmail.com which we do not check very often but we get really excited when we see that we've got an email there. And most importantly, if you join our Patreon, whose details will be revealed momentarily, then you can talk to us on our Discord. Somebody take it away with the Patreon. Never mind, I changed my mind because Samantha is going to say the forbidden acronym out loud. Find us at patreon.com slash Y-S-S-T-O-G. Ahem, ahem, I'm Sadie. Ahem, ahem. I'd like to thank our patrons. Hold on just a second. I'd like to thank our lovely, wonderful patrons, none of whom we would uh, sneak into their homes and murder uh, on Christmas. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Uh, Logan, Logan Mannies, Andrew, Althea, Xenalon, Sharon, Justin, Evan, Liz, Brittany, Ace, Mara, Ramy the Void, Heartleaf, Ave with Teeth, and Hadas. We are so lovely. Or you are so lovely. We are so, we are terrible. (laughs) You're lovely. (laughs) You need to rinse that brain.
Please explain to our other listeners who are not yet patrons about like our tiers and um, what goodies they can get from joining our Patreon. Oh, so uh, you can join our Discord where you can chat with fellow listeners of You Should See the Other Guy, also known by a forbidden name that I shall not utter here. Out of respect (laughs) for Jen is my Christmas (laughs) gift to her. (laughs) And uh, you can also also hear monthly bonus episodes. Our last one was about something that I've already forgotten because I got a booster shot two days ago and my brain is scrambled like a like uh, the brain on drugs PSA that oh, played before it's good. movies. Uh, it's probably better Abyss. because we talked about the Sex in the City reboot. Oh, that's right. And just like that, which I've continued watching <laughs> and it continues to be peak cringe. Um, you can get playlists. Uh, and at the highest tier, you can uh, choose movies that we cover. We tend to do one of those a month. We'll do one next week for our, our Nora tier. But above Which all, is you, our next uh, week. Uh, the last song with Miley Cyrus and Liam Hemsworth, the baby. Oh, baby. <laughs> um, the amount of baggage we're going to unpack we, with that It's one. death, baby. We really, really, really uh, love and appreciate our patrons and want there to be more patrons uh, because it's great. So even if you, um, even if you don't want to drop three bucks a month or whatever our lowest tier is set at right now, uh, the, the best thing you could do for our podcast is uh, share it, send it to a friend, uh, tell a friend you've been listening to it post about it somewhere. Uh, I feel like we often listen to podcasts in little bubbles. Like they're not like movies and TV shows where we are like, bring it up to a friend of like, hey, you should go see this thing I saw. But if you did that with our podcast, more people would listen to it. Because we know there are hundreds of you sitting there in the shadows who've never even tweeted at us or discorded with us or whatever. Uh, And wouldn't it be nice if you could grow into an even larger silent army of yeast hogs. I'm sorry, Jen, I couldn't resist. Um, so join the patri- Patreon Ooh, if you can, the but uh, spread the word. <laughs> no, the punishment. No, we, we'd appreciate the, the help in the new year growing beyond our wildest dreams, or even to our moderate dreams, to the level of our moderate dreams would be a nice a nice growth we goal. We truly appreciate not only talking to, to you guys, which is amazing, but that you help us stream all of these movies so that we are not draining our own bank accounts to do so every week so that you can listen to us chatter about them. We love you, little little baby other guys, as I call you, instead of yeast hogs, as these other two filthy <laughs> beasts call you. <laughs> you said it. We got you to say it, though. <laughs> And that is my Christmas present. (laughs) 